Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, the cast of the adored Netflix series Stranger Things chat to me about the brand new series, which has just landed. Tom Cruise is back in Top Gun Maverick and we'll give our review courtesy of Mark Ryle. Plus News Talk's own Shane Coleman chats about his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on News Talk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. Uh, sad, sad news with the passing of Ray Liotta. Uh, I was very disappointed to hear about it. Ray Liotta, he was only 67. Uh, a lot of people have been in touch with me about him saying they're gutted. I guess it just seems like he had a lot more to do. Uh, that's kind of my sense of it, you know. he's His first big thing was Racing Claire and something wild. He got a Golden Globe for that. But I suppose the thing everyone knows and loves him for is playing Henry Hill in Goodfellas. It was just a career-defining performance and a brilliant performance. Now, he had other great performances. Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams, the favourite movie of Anton Savage. He was great uh, only last year in The Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos prequel, where he played two characters, uh, brothers, uh, the same brothers. It was it was great. Uh, he was uh, He had a presence that was edgy, charming, you know, a bit scary. There was something about him. People seem really saddened by his passing because, as I say, he had a lot more to do. Now, I got to speak to him last year, uh, you know, and one of the things is people have asked about him why after Goodfellas he didn't become more of a leading man, maybe, because he had had that, that way about him. And there were suggestions that he would be a little complicated to deal with at times. So I was a bit apprehensive about talking to him, even though I was dying to. But I spoke to him for the Many Saints of Newark last year, and he was delightful uh, for the six or seven minutes that I spoke to him. A real gent and as cool as cool as you would hope. And here he is breaking down the famous scene in Goodfellas. How do you mean I'm funny? Even on the way in here, someone said to me, Ask him about the you think I'm funny scene. I'm wondering if you had to quantify it. How many times do you think people have said, so you think I'm funny, I'm amuse you? <laughs> well, people have it as, a, as their ringtones and everything. In, in the beginning, it was a lot. What most people don't realize is we had the luxury of, of sitting around. It, it was myself, Martin Scorsese, Pesci, De Niro and and Lorraine, uh, and no, I think it was just just me, Bob, and 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 Joe. And Joe told a story about a time that he was in a restaurant, and he said to some guy, "Well, that's really funny," and that guy just flipped and turned on him. But these were like real deal people. So Joe was telling that story. And Marty, being as creative as he is, he said, you know what? This would be a great place to put it where, where it turned out to be. Because normally what he, the guy came up and said, you haven't paid your bill or anything. And mm. he hits him on the head with the. And uh, so we improv that like four or five times. And then we put it to stone 
And then, but it was an improv scene of a story that Joe told. So there's a little fun fact that a lot of people don't know. Well, and thank you very much. The late, great Ray Liotta there talking to me about that famous scene in Goodfellas opposite Joe Pesci. He was only 67. He died in his sleep. Uh, he was filming. So RIP Ray Liotta. Now, in TV this week, I was watching this. There's more to life than your farm, Owen. He needs to see that. There's a whole galaxy out there. I'm asking you to leave us alone, Ben. I mean it. Is he okay? You don't care if he's okay. You care if he's showing. It's my responsibility, Owen. Well, I'm his uncle. We talked about this. When the time comes, he must be trained. Like you trained his father? Ewan McGregor there in Obi-Wan Kenobi, which landed this Friday on Disney+. Plus. Yes, the Star Wars train continues. The Mandalorian was released a couple of years ago and it was a runaway success. I think it surprised everyone. It surprised me as a Star Wars fan just how good it was. Second season was very good. The next one, The Book of Boba Fett, wasn't that good. The finale wasn't bad, but I don't think that was really worth it. And, you know, there is a touch of... You know, Disney, now that they own Star Wars, they're plundering the catalogue, so to speak. But look, that's commerce and art, you know, that's what happens. So all we can hope for is that there's good TV shows and good movies coming out of it. The good news is, Obi-Wan Kenobi so far looks good. Two episodes dropped on Friday. Now, I only got to watch one, I'm afraid. I did get up early, specifically to watch it to tell you guys what I thought of it. And so far, so good. I'm pleased to say Ewan McGregor plays Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's reprising his role from the movies, which he did like 20 years ago. And this one takes up about 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. And I suppose 10 years or thereabouts before Star Wars. It gets confusing. And we find him living back on Tatooine in 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 hiding, almost like Luke Skywalker is in The Force Awakens when he's tracked down on the Skelligs. And he's basically saying the fight is done and he's keeping an eye on a young Skywalker from a distance and not using his Jedi powers. But then it turns out Princess Leia, a, a child in this, goes missing, not to give a spoiler, and it looks like he's getting his... Jedi gear back on uh, metaphorically and literally and so far it's pretty decent uh, you know Hugh McGregor's a good actor there's you know he, he he's playing Obi-Wan Kenobi so he's quite sincere in it that's the Obi-Wan character but he's quite swashbuckling in it uh, so it's 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 a cautious optimism based on one episode so far it looks great it, it looks Star Wars-esque you know and I know why wouldn't it? But it doesn't always, but it does in this. And yeah, so far, so good. Let me know if you've watched any of The Mandalore or The Mandalorian. There I go. Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you've watched any of it so far. Now available to stream on Disney+. Plus. The first two episodes are there. You can email me, screentime at newstalk.com or my Twitter handle is John underscore Fardy. Now we've been raving about on Colleen Kewen for the last few weeks, the Irish language movie, which is tearing it up in the Irish box office and also the UK box office. A couple of people have seen it. Hugh from West Cork was in touch saying, very interesting movie, very subtle and understated interactions, really talented actors. No doubt it will travel and it could be a story from every corner of the globe. 
Best of luck and congrats. And as I say, that's from Hugh in West Court. Yes, and I second all that. It is a very universal tale. I don't think you'd say very universal. That's bad grammar. It's a universal story, albeit told from a very specific corner of Ireland. Uh, a beautiful, beautiful movie. Now, I want to talk to you about Stranger Things. That much love Netflix series, a cult show, you could almost say, although it's wildly popular, so maybe cult show doesn't quite cut it. Season four is upon us as of this Friday, the 27th of May. A lot of people haven't seen it. Lots of people have. In case you don't know, it is a love letter to the 1980s, as Mark Ryle, our own Mark Ryle, said to me once about it, it has weapons grade nostalgia. But it's done in a brilliant way. Stranger Things is a thrilling drama set in the seemingly normal Midwestern town of Hawkins, Indiana. After a boy vanishes, Will Byers, into thin air, his close-knit group of friends and family search for answers and are pulled into a high-stakes and deadly series of events. Beneath the surface of the ordinary town lurks an extraordinary supernatural mystery, along with top-secret government experiments and a dangerous gateway that connects our world to a powerful yet sinister realm. Friendships will be tested and lives will be altered as what they discover will change Hawkins and possibly the world forever. Season three kind of ended really high stakes stuff with the Battle of Starcourt, which brought kind of terror and destruction to Hawkins. When season four begins, they're struggling with the aftermath of this and the friends, this group of friends who are at the centre of the story are split up for the first time and they're navigating the complexities of high school as well as all the other stuff. In season four, the Byers family, headed by Winona Ryder, has moved to California and she's trying to get on with life over there. David Harbour, who plays the police chief at the end of season three, appeared to have vanished after all that destruction. You know, season four, I've watched four of them. It's great. It's very horror infused. It's getting darker. The kids are growing up. Stranger Things is a great show. If you love 80s movies like E.T., this is one for you. And we've seen these kids and some of the adults kind of grow up. So listen, I got to talk to a whole gaggle of the cast. So first up, I want to bring you my interview with Joe Keery. He plays Steve. He's also known for movies like Spree and Free Guy. Uh, his pal Robin, played by Maya Hawke, they're now in a video store in this season. Natalie Dyer, who's Nancy, who was highly involved in looking for Will after he disappeared. And also a new character, Eddie Munson, played by Joseph Quinn, who comes to the school where all the action takes place and he's big into Dungeons and Dragons and he's kind of corralling the kids together, uh, nerds under one banner, but he's kind of a metal man as well, as in he's into heavy metal and he's kind of a tough guy as well as being into Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. So listen, I had a four-way chat not for very long with this uh, cast of Stranger Things. And this is a bit raucous, but have a listen. John Fardy from News Talk Radio in Ireland. How are you? Good. Hi, good. Nice to meet you. you too. Joseph, I'll start with you as the new kid on the block, if you don't mind. I, I thought your character was great because he's kind of a nerd who's into Dungeons and Dragons, but he's also dangerous and looks like a bit of a badass as well with long hair and everyone else seems drawn to him from the, the other group of nerds. Is, is that how you see him? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I think I, <laughs> Good, yeah. correct answer. Yeah. 
No, I okay. think there's definitely some. Yeah, good. Good, good. Well, I'll just good, I'll good. just talk and you nod along if I do yes. Or <laughs> take your head if it's no. Love that. And then uh, Joe and Maya, one thing I thought was really funny when I think about it is you're in this video store and you guys are probably too young to have actually ever frequented video stores. I frequented. I also actually frequented. Yeah, okay. I remember when my local store closed when I was maybe around 12, it was replaced with a CVS. Me too. I was heartbroken. I was like nine. <laughs> Chelsea video. Chelsea video in... Chelsea, New York, Chelsea, Chelsea New York, Chelsea, as opposed to Chelsea, Chelsea, London. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, the production notes are wrong because they said uh, you guys had no experience of video stores. So there you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Natalie, I, I, can I ask you the big picture question? I'm just, I, the, the fourth series is just so anticipated. I was telling people this morning here in Ireland who I was going to talk to and the whole office I was in nearly stopped. And they were just saying how much I love that show in a couple of sentences. Why do you think it's been so adored by so many people? Um, wow. I mean, I, I think something nice about our show is that it, does appeal to a, a wide group of people, you know, I think, you know, for, for kids, for adults who lived through the eighties, you know, and I think, you know, it, it, there's, there's good heart in the show. And I think it appeals to anybody who kind of, um, you were saying earlier, like, like an outsider, anyone who feels yeah. like an outsider, I think the show does a good job of, of showing how, you know, we all can be outsiders sometimes. Um, just that, that, that's a very relatable thing to be. Did any of you actually play Dungeons and Dragons? I played once. I did actually over the pandemic. I played Dungeons and Dragons with some friends and it was pretty difficult actually. Yeah, yeah. it's very involved. My uncle is an amazing dungeon master. It's the hardest job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's like a legendary dungeon master that my uncle's okay. all do. Okay, very good. Uh, Joe, I was going to quickly go off topic for a second. I saw you in a great movie last year called Spree. Uh, and I, I, I interviewed I interviewed the director who's, to my shame, his name momentarily escapes me. And oddly enough, I got your name wrong and he corrected me because I called you John and I'm John. And he was like, sorry, I'm going to have to correct you. But I, I thought that was such a great movie for people who don't know about a guy who's basically trying to social media his whole life on a phone as he's doing a ride share. Do you have any particular memories of that experience? Very, it was a quick and dirty experience. It was like 18 days and that guy, crazy. Eugene, was an amazing director Eugene. and Eugene. a lot of cameras overheating and GoPros and craziness. And it was like, what are we doing here? Um, <laughs> love Eugene. Was It was a wild experience and it's really fun. Thanks for watching that one. Not at all. Not at all. And then very finally, everyone's going to ask you this every day and anyone can answer me. Are we going to get a fifth season of Stranger Things, do you think? Are you going to get it? Yes, we are. Is there going to be one? Oh, oh yeah. We're going to we're going to give it to you. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, oh, yeah. great. We're going to give it to you. It's a great place to stop. They're telling me to wrap, so I couldn't think of a better place to wrap. Thanks for talking cool. to me, guys. Thanks, John. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Yes, you heard me there talking to Joseph Quinn who plays Eddie Munson. You also heard Joe Keery.
Maya Hawke, who plays Robin and Steve, respectively, and Natalie Dreyer, who plays Nancy from season four and all seasons of Stranger Things season four now available on Netflix. I also got to talk to some of the younger cast, the great Finn Wolfhart, who plays Mike Wheeler. Now, Finn Wolfhart is known from movies like The Goldfinch, directed by John Crowley. He was in, of course recently Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, fine fine young actor very charismatic looking guy I also talk to the actor Charlie Heaton who plays Jonathan Byers who's now brother of Will Byers who's now out in California for this season and another new character played by Eduardo Franco who's called Argyle who's Jonathan's kind of new pal in California and he's basically just a fun loving stoner who delivers pizza have a listen to this Hi guys, John Fardy from News Talk Radio in Ireland. How are you? Good, how are you? Great, great. I love the show. It's lovely to see you all. Eduardo, if I can start with you as as the new kid on the block. I I was talking to the guys earlier, uh, some of the other cast, and they were saying this is a show for outsiders. That's why so many people seem to really enjoy it so much. Your character, I don't want to say he's an outsider, but he's a classic 80s stoner who delivers pizza. He just seems like a perfect Stranger Things uh, new character. Yeah, man, I think he fits right in, um, especially in the environment that 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 they, you know, the, the buyer's families moved to. You know, obviously they moved to California. Mm. I don't know if he would fit into... Hawkins, Hawkins, a little more, a little rougher, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, but like, yeah, but uh, I mean, I mean, he could did definitely, you know. I feel like that guy would, he would adapt, you know. Yeah, um, he, probably, he, he probably would. As long, I think they got pizza in Hawkins, right? They <laughs> yeah, they pizza. should have pizza. Yeah, yeah, they, and they, yeah, you know, and there's a lot of woods out there where he could, he could find his little uh, herbal buddies. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, uh, yeah, so I, no, it's it was it's awesome. Like it's um, like you said, an outsider. I technically was an outsider coming into something that's already been so you know established, and and it was it was great. Everybody was so welcoming and 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 cool to work with. Sure, and Charlie, uh, your your new best pal Eduardo there, but you've moved to California, as he points out. Was there? I don't know. I don't want to say separation anxiety, but you've all been together and hawking so long. I know it's the illusion of TV and all, but was it strange filming it in different places this time? Yeah, there was um, for sure. It brought a completely different feel. We were shooting in Albuquerque, um, New Mexico, mm. uh, and yeah, I was you know I. I so like every time I think about the show, I assimilate it to, to Atlanta and that's what Hawkins is. So it brought a different feel. Um, um, and we hung out. I felt like just being in a different group, you know, I've spent a lot of the seasons with uh, Nancy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so this was like, you know, to having a friend to kind of being with Noah and, and um, Finn and their, their characters. It was, um, yeah, it, well, it was a different experience. It's also because it's such a big cast. Um, Sometimes, you know, I obviously like I was like friends with Charlie and friends with Noah before. But like, yeah, when you do all your scenes together, Mm. you you don't have a lot of time to spend or when you don't do a lot of scenes together. Like I never really had any scenes with Charlie before. And um, I mean, we did just with none with any dialogue in it. And um, you really get to know each other. And I'm like really like happy because I made I, I obviously like. Charlie was like a part of like my uh, family and whatever and everything. But now it's like even more because we got to like really talk and really get to know each other a lot more, even though we've been working together on the show for years. Yeah, for sure. We 
you know, really bonded. Um, and then it's, we got to have this guy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He's fitting right in. Finn, it's funny, you know, it's, I, I have children of my own, but I've watched you growing up. Now, I know you're 20 years of age, but it's so funny to see you, you know, develop. I know that happens to everyone, but do, no, do people... Do people like me look at you and go, wow, you've grown up. It must be odd. Yeah. I had that most most people, I mean, like, it's enough for my grandma to say, like, you've grown. And then, like, to, for a stranger on the street, you're like, you've grown. I'm like, how would you know? Um, but, yeah, I know. Um, yeah. No, no, no. That's totally. the experience no, I have. It is. No, it is. It is weird. It's, um, yeah, it's at, like, uh, who said it? Caleb actually said this earlier, which I thought was really funny. He was like, I, he was like, I know people that, like, are adults. And like, they're like, oh, I don't, I, I'm so embarrassed of like when I was a kid, like, I don't want to see any photos of myself or whatever. Like that was so cringy. Like my high school years, I'm like, I lived all those years, like in front of the world. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah. uh, so, I mean, yeah. it's a really different way of uh, living, um, but yeah. I'm really, you know, happy um, that it worked out the way it did. Sure. Well, listen, our time is up. I just want to say in closing, Finn, uh, you were in a movie directed by an Irishman, John Crowley, the goldfinch. Absolutely. I thought, you were, I thought you were superb in it. So I'd just like to Thank say that so before much. my time is short. And lovely to see you all and continued success. Thank you oh, so much, man. Eduardo Franco, Charlie Heaton and Finn Wolfhard there talking to me. Well, Finn Wolfhard was talking to me briefly there about the goldfinch, but they were talking to me ostensibly about Stranger Things and season four is now on Netflix as of this week. And uh, it's great. If you like the first three seasons, I think you'll particularly like season four. Up next, Tom Cruise is back in Top Gun Maverick. And so is Mark Ryle. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. If you're listening on the radio, we're coming to you at the considerably later time of 9pm. Now, the big new movie release of the week, and I guess the summer's biggest blockbuster certainly this far, is Top Gun Maverick. My very own Maverick, my wingman. He was away last week, but he's back. Mark Ryle joins me now to review the same said Top Gun Maverick. Hello, Mark. Hey, John, how are you? I'm very well. People missed you last week. <laughs> well, one person mentioned it to me. <laughs> one person missed me. <laughs> I missed you, of course, but I miss you all the time, even when you're here. So The word people is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. Isn't it? <laughs> Tell me this, uh, Top Gun Maverick, were yeah. you... Uh, glad they were making another Top Gun movie? No, listen, um, I can't have been the only one that thought, thought that it was. I think it was around 2013 when the, the, you know, the first mutterings of a sequel began to come out. And I, I probably was not alone in thinking that it was a terrible idea. Let me interrupt there for a second. I was on the hard shoulder talking about Top Gun last week, I think it was yeah. at this stage. And I intimated that I didn't necessarily get why Top Gun was considered such a classic, the original. Now, I don't like standing on people's dreams and spoiling their nostalgia. You, on the other hand, thrive in it. So well, what did you think of the first Top Gun movie? Let me just get my ladder out for a second. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, the original came out in 1986. And I haven't, uh, to be honest, I, I don't think I've seen it since around 1987. So I think, what's that, about 35 years? Yeah. Um, there's a re like, it's never on TV. It never seems to be repeated on TV. But I think more importantly, it's not the movie that I have wanted to see in mm -hmm. about 30 
35 years because it's not very good. And I think even if you love it, if you're a huge fan, you'd have to admit that it's not high art. Um, it was, it, it's a, I think it's, it's, a, it's a jock sweat dream that was concocted <laughs> by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer using power ballads and, and topless oily beach volleyball and, and an awful lot of stock footage. Um, and you know, yeah, like similar to yourself back in the day, it was the kind of thing that would set me running off into the arms of David Lynch or the Coen brothers, you know? Um, and I think it's at best, it's a guilty pleasure. Um, and listen, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that this sequel now is, is, is incredible. Um, this new one, Top Gun Maverick, it's a proper, it's an old fashioned big summer event movie. And it feels, it genuinely feels like we haven't had one of those in a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. But it's it like overall, it's an incredibly well constructed blockbuster. I think it's got yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I was I was really surprised by how good and how relentlessly entertaining it was. So let's tell people what the setup is because there's lots. Obviously, people know Tom Cruise is back, and not to put the cart before the horse, but in a very pleasing way, he's not trying to be the Tom Cruise all those years ago. Yet he kind of gets away with it nonetheless. But over to you. Yeah, it kind of toys with the idea of, of you know, him being put out to pasture and, you know, by, past to sell by, by date. And when we meet him again, first Pete Maverick Mitchell, um, he is a test pilot for an experimental test jet program that is about to be cancelled by the military top brass unless he can prove that the jet he's trying to flying can reach Mach 9. So Maverick goes to Mach 10 because, in the immortal words of uh, Nigel Tufnell, that's one ladder, isn't it? Um, and then Ed Harris shows up for a one-scene cameo and gives uh, Maverick orders back to the Top Gun Naval Flight School in San Diego, where he has to teach a new batch of pilots to play uh, a possibly possible suicide mission to destroy a nuclear plant operated by a non-specific government in a non-specific country. It goes out of its way a great deal to not offend anybody. Um, and one of these new pilots that, that um, Maverick is training is the son of Anthony Edwards' uh, character, Goose, who died in the 1986 movie, which leads to um, a great deal of tension. Yes. And what I you know, really liked about it was that the it, it started with a brilliant scene and the flight scenes throughout the whole thing were brilliant. And I, I didn't get a hint of CGI. Now you might correct me, but it really seemed like if it was CGI, it was very good CGI because they looked up in the sky. It, it, yeah, they did. Now it's, it's the, the aerial scenes in this gave me sweaty palms it's it's acting that you can feel in your bones yes um and it is probably riddled with cgi but it is the best kind of cgi because it's. i should say to people you're clutching your mints through most of these things though you you bring mints to the screening because i was at a screen with you so that might have been part of the reason for the sweaty pans but that notwithstanding it is very entertaining flight scenes I don't. I think the sweaty palms were were to do with something else. Anyway, it's like come, the come. CGI is used how it's supposed to be used. You, you you're not aware that you're watching it. You know, yeah. and there really is no substitute for practical effects. And you can see the effort that's gone into this because it's all up there on the screen. Um, I, I really have to mention the editing. The action hasn't been edited to with an inch of its life with with twenty cuts per second, mm. um, which has the effect that all of that effort isn't completely wasted. Um, I will say this to, till I'm blue in the face, but if you, if you can't tell what is happening, then everything is just wasted. Mm. And, you know, in this, you can tell exactly what's happening to who 
and why. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, I think, helps that there's a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a PowerPoint presentation before every big set priest to explain what, what is about to happen. Yeah, there kind of is, with Tom Cruise standing there saying, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. what, what I also liked about it was, and I touched on it briefly, but Tom Cruise, he's brought back to train these guys and then, you know, without giving a spoiler, maybe more involved than was initially planned. But he is playing an older person and he's not trying to be a young guy and mm. you know it you know there's a picture of him somewhere in an attic because he looks and yeah. I know you're going to, people might say oh yeah hollywood money and all that but i don't know he he looks just fantastic to me the 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 wilford brimley thing the comparison gets dragged mm. out a lot but i think it bears repeating but that tom cruise in this is i think nearly 10 years older than wilford brimley was when he made cocoon which is just remarkable <laughs> um he, he like he's 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 incredible value for money you know mm. um he really tom cruise he makes a mockery of every actor that has you know ability to ride a horse on their cv yeah um, and as far as i know i think there was i don't think he actually flew the jets himself but i'm sure he tried. <laughs> um, but anyway, he's just like, it's just the, the commitment is, is incredible and you really have to take your hat off to him. The other thing I liked about it is, you know, sometimes like we talked about it with Ghostbusters Afterlife, that it's yeah. drowning in fan service. Now, there was definitely fan service in this, but it moved it on in a really pleasing way that it wasn't just a derivative movie. It was very much its own thing, albeit showing its ancestors. No, it does. It, it, it doesn't feel uh, cheap and it doesn't feel like nostalgia just purely for the sake of nostalgia. Mm. I think the, the, the Harold Faltermeyer Top Gun team, it's, it's, I think it's important that that gets reused a lot, but it's also, I think Faltermeyer sharing soundtrack duties with Hans Zimmer, who, you know, is not really known for, understated subtlety either but um yeah there are a couple of shots in this that are are the exact same as you know the 1986 movie but as you say it doesn't feel like it's not like a cheap nostalgia um you know just tickling people's things that they remember from their childhood you know no there is there's we can't over the even just the past couple of months we've got had you know sequels for movies that were out 30 odd years ago we've had scream the matrix halloween Candyman, um anything involving the terminator they're all terrible because the, the third of the new jurassic park sequels is out in a fortnight and, and mm. the general attitude towards that seems to be indifference really but um yeah i mean this is just it, it's way way better than it needs to be and it deserves to be i think it it's well put together and it, the whole thing just hangs together really really well yeah absolutely and you know you mentioned in the original the oily bodies beach beach volleyball scene this was a nice corrective that this time it was all hot young men with their shirts off doing it like i thought that was a knowing wink and tom cruise wasn't taking part in it was just sitting back watching the young books do it i thought it was a nice touch filming it on his phone (laughs) (laughs) um we should probably talk about miles teller okay yeah, he's he's really really good. I think the first thing that to say about him is that the similarity to Anthony Edwards is really extraordinary, um, and it, I think he's he's excellent in this. It helps that he's been given a, a proper backstory. And uh, going back to the 1986 movie, the death of Goose still weighs very heavily on Maverick. Mm-hmm. And it's a loss that, that still steers all of his choices and his decisions. And obviously it's affected Teller's character being that it, it's his son very deeply as well. And that kind of creates a, a very interesting dynamic. Um, yeah. But, yeah. The only, and I, because I really liked it, right? The only 
pit that I don't want to say incongruous, but I'm not sure I quite got was the appearance of Val Kilmer in it. Yeah, um, I'm sure that Tom Cruise and the director Joseph Kaczynski and the writers really struggled with how best to handle Val Kilmer. And in case anybody isn't aware, Kilmer has struggled with serious health issues since around 2015. I think he's had mm. throat cancer and um, he sadly he can no longer speak. Um, and on the one hand, I think how they've handled the whole thing is a very honest approach. But mm. on the other hand, I'm not really sure that it works. Yeah, yeah. But of course, we, we do have to point out, it. I suppose I, it sounds like, you know, sour grapes for me to be saying that, given the movie is so good and given the fact that Val Kilmer has had a very rough time of it of late. But uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just not necessarily sure this was the best use of him in the movie. But that that is very much a small quibble, I have I guess to say. That, yeah, I'm, I'm just not sure how what else they could have done. Do you know what I mean? No, absolutely, absolutely. So maybe I should even excise that from this very piece. Tell me this then, what are you going to say stars-wise for Top Gun? Um, I'm giving it a four. It's surprisingly good. Yes, I'm giving it a four as well. It is a blockbuster as kind of blockbusters are intended to be. Like you maybe leave your brain at the door, but it's smart enough and entertaining enough for you to just completely enjoy the ride. Completely, yeah. I mean, for for sheer summer entertainment, there's just no substitute for for good-looking Americans with perfect teeth blowing things up yeah i was going to say i always enjoyed the ride with you mark but you know given what we've been talking about and all with, sure. you know, yeah we'll leave it we'll leave it there so. we'll leave it there we'll talk next week thank you thanks john mark royal there giving a great review to top gun maverick and i second that as well on top gun maverick as we said is in cinemas now i didn't play a clip all the clips i could find were you know just lots of music and air scenes you know aerial shots it just it wouldn't really work you know so i hope that's okay go see it though go see it in the cinema and you know if you're one of those people who's like oh, i haven't been to the cinema in ages and covid and yada 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 i hear this a lot you know people tell me you know i haven't been to the cinema in ages like i should be delighted to hear it or something but anyway if you haven't been go see top gun maverick if you're in the mood for just some popcorn entertainment this is this is great popcorn entertainment and i don't mean that as a you know calling it popcorn that it's somehow less or anything it's just really good entertainment up next the one and only shane coleman on his favorite movie Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. Now I'm going to do a really quick preamble that I don't usually do, but about seven years ago, the highlight of my week every Sunday was to present something on the then called Sunday show, The Cultural Toolbox, where each week I would come on the show and debate the merits of an album, a movie or a TV show with the then host of that show, Shane Coleman. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. I went off and attempted in vain to be News Talk's Barry Norman. But Shane Coleman went on to become the staple of morning radio in Ireland. And it is a delight that after three long years, he's decided to chat to me about his favourite movie. Hello, Shane. How are you? Hello, Barry. I mean, John, how are you? <laughs> oh, good. Never lost it. So listen, sorry it's taken so long, but you've, you've been busy, you know. You're fa- now, we used to do this all the time, so it I did. was kind of surprised by your choice, but tell our listeners your favourite movie. My choice is 
Godfather 1. And, and why, I'm curious, why were you surprised by it? Because that was the type of movie when we did the aforementioned cultural toolbox that I would come in and wave to you about as a classic. And I'd, I'd always seem to me, you always kind of had, with some of those classic gangster movies that I always banged over the head, I thought maybe, I, I wasn't sure if you were, The Godfather was your thing, but anyway. I love it. I absolutely love it, I have to say. I, it's a film I never get tired of watching. I actually saw it about three weeks ago Oh, in the Lighthouse Cinema for the to mark the 50th anniversary. I brought my 16-year-old son and he and I watched it. And, oh my God, it just, like, it stands the test of time. 50 years on and it, it's still, I, I, I still get a knot in my stomach when I'm watching it. It is that good a thriller. And I know people, and we won't get too into Godfather 2, I know people <laughs> Godfather 2 and say it's the better movie and all and m- maybe technically it is and cinematically and storyline and plot and all that but but the tension of Godfather 1 as a good old fashioned gangster thriller I it's just it's unsurpassed in my well, no argument from me. So just, you know, most people in the world have seen The Godfather. You know, we have a few younger listeners. Just give us a little press eh, of what's going on and, you know, possibly so the greatest you, movie ever made. So you have the, this Cor- the Corleone family, a Sicilian uh, mafia family, one of the five families uh, in, in, in New York. And it's basically about their lives. And, and I suppose the central character is Michael Corleone. And, and the joy of it is that he starts out as this kind of I- uh, idealistic, He's a soldier just back from World War Two, and he kind of hates what the family stand for and wants nothing to do with it. But then slowly, his because he loves his father, he gets drawn into the net and you see him going. I mean, I suppose there's nothing new in this. He kind of goes from the light into the dark side, but it happens very slowly and 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 brilliantly and the like the cast of characters are just his his brother uh, played by James Caan Sonny is just a fantastic mm-hmm. character um he, he's got another brother who's you know not very bright not very uh, in, intelligent fredo um again brilliantly played by uh, John 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 um, Cazzoli. um just the, the cast of characters like there isn't a there isn't a bad actor in it there's really important actors playing pretty small role. Sterling Hayden, who would have been a huge actor uh, decades before that, plays uh, Captain McCluskey, the, the kind of crooked uh, cop who, well, am I, am I allowed to say what happens to him? Or uh, is there spoilers alerts at this stage, John? Yeah, you know, keep going, keep going. You're flying. Like, does this, does, does an amazing scene where in this, in this restaurant in the Bronx where, where Michael, where he, he literally crosses to the dark mm. side, but he feels he has to do this to protect his father. And he guns down this, this crooked cop and the uh, that the other mafiosa rival who's trying to kill his father and but the the tension uh, the, the 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 gun is left in a toilet and 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 he has to go in and get it and he comes back and he, the advice from his brother is to come out shooting and you know don't look down and just just shoot and keep going but he doesn't he comes back and he he, he finishes he keeps eating and you see his mind working over and it's almost like he's contemplating he knows once he does this there's no way back and the tension in that moment mm. uh, it's just it still got me seeing it for the 25th time yeah uh, two weeks ago i still was uh I, I was still blown away by it and you know uh he's played of course brilliantly by al pacino and sorry i should have said that no yeah. no of course and you know you probably know this as well but the studio really weren't sure about him but yeah. in that moment he is the greatest thing on sliced bread on screen really in that restaurant scene you're, and you know what? I think it was actually they they rehearsed that scene, and I, I actually think there was talk that James Can, who I said, as I said, played Sonny, that he mm. actually might be Michael, but he he screen tested that particular role, 
And apparently, like, it was one of those moments where everyone just went, oh, my God, like, this guy, we have to give it to him. Because he, he wouldn't have been a big name actor at the time yeah. at all. Uh, but he was that good in that particular scene. And when you see it in the film, you'll, you'll understand why they just had to give to him. And then, of course, the other towering performance is Brando himself as the yeah. uh, patriarch of this family. I mean, you never get tired of watching him as the Godfather, really. Sure, you, you don't. Never do. I mean, he is just—he is fantastic, and he, like, he just—he underplays it beautifully. Like for such a brilliant actor, I think the temptation must be in a role like that to to do the dog in it and go overboard, yeah. and he doesn't. Like, he's just—he gets it absolutely absolutely spot on it's uh, it's just it's the most wonderful cast but like it's it's a film i love for so many other reasons as well john like the like the soundtrack is just mm. fantastic uh, the music that accompanies every scene is just amazing uh, the 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 script is brilliant i mean there are so many lines from that script that we we still use yeah uh, you know to to this day you know i'm going to make an offer i he can't refuse it's it's just business john uh, it's, <laughs> it's not personal it's just business. and and uh my my favorite one of all that I, i'm constantly saying to to my own older brother alfredo you're my older brother and i love you but don't ever take sides against the family again <laughs> ever like it's chilling absolutely chilling yeah. And come here, I always ask people, well, awfully two things. And sometimes it has a very dull answer because they can't remember. But one, uh, do you remember the first time you saw it? I do. And I'll tell you why I remember it, because I wasn't allowed to watch it. And my sister, my older sister was watching it. And it was the, it was the scene at the start in the wedding where mm. uh, um, Sonny, who has a wandering eye, is... Um, uh, having a, having relations with yes. the, the bridesmaid, and I remember my sister roaring at me, saying, "Get out, get out!" And I was thinking, <laughs> "I have to see this film." I don't know what age I was at the time, but I, I have to see it. And a few years later, I did get. I think I probably saw it for the first time when I was around fifteen or so. And I have to say, I know this sounds a little bit sad, a little bit pathetic. I would give anything to be able to go back in time and watch it again for the first time. Yeah, I really would because. I just like I love watching it over and over again, but to watch it for the first time, uh, yeah. it just must be amazing. Yeah. Well, and the other question I always ask people, particularly, well, only parents, is have your kids watch? It? And you said you took your oldest fella to it, so I'm wondering what he made of it. He loved it. We'd actually I'd watched it with my two sons before. We watched okay. um, my 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 wife and my daughter were away for a weekend, and we watched all three of them. Guy time. Guy time. All three of them. Friday we watched Godfather 1, Saturday Godfather 2, and Sunday we watched Godfather 3, which, okay, is not a classic like Godfather 1 and 2, but is still not a bad movie. It has merits, so we, yeah. Yeah, it has merits. So we watched all three. They, I mean, look, they were a bit younger. They found it a little bit hard to follow, and Godfather 2 is quite complex and stuff, but they, they both enjoyed it. Now, I'm not sure they love it as much as, as I do, but... Um, there's probably not many people <laughs> as much yeah. as I do, John. Well, you certainly love that movie. It is beautifully described. And you know what? I, I kind of share your enthusiasm for it and the idea of watching it again for the first time, which can never be, of course. But such is the problem of life, Shane. We only get to experience first times, first times. I know, I know. Listen, you're no slouch. You've interviewed lots of famous people over the years, but one I was particularly interested in, because I heard you not so long ago talking about Roger Moore, and you seem to be very taken with him you just thought he was completely roger moore when you met him oh, is that right no i i just i fell in love with him because like i i was watching actually i was watching a bond movie the other night and he like he like he just plays it with 
like with such irony. He doesn't take, he never took himself seriously at all. And I think, I'm not 100% sure of this, I think I might have been the last person to interview him uh, ever. Uh, It was very shortly before he died and he came into News Talk and he was a gentleman to his fingertips he really was he was just so nice to everyone so polite so affable and agreeable Mm -hmm. really funny really self-effacing and like i i have this thing for celebrities who don't take themselves seriously who are who know they've kind of got it lucky and are happy to to live that life enjoy it fully but not take themselves seriously like rod stewart's another one who i just have so much time for for that reason and he was that and more and it was do you know what it was a privilege like you know people get carried away by I, I'm not a huge, you know, star watcher or celebrity uh, watcher or anything like that, but I, I, I was kind of in awe of him. I just thought he was an absolute gentleman and a, and a brilliant, brilliant character. Yeah, well, it's lovely to hear that. And then finally, you know, Ian Dempsey said, people always ask me about my sleeping habits because I get up so early. So yeah. I, I've known you a while, as I've alluded to, but since you've you've taken over breakfast, is the is the morning kind of, it must be a routine that's like second nature to you now. It's like tying your shoelaces, the early starts. Do you just get used to them intrinsically and it's now part of your waking life? No, you never okay. get used to it. I, I've been doing it six, nearly seven years. It'll be seven years in September I've been doing breakfast. And everyone said to me, you get used to it. Every time the alarm clock goes off in the morning at ridiculous o'clock, my body, I just scream, no, what am I doing? I absolutely <laughs> do. Like, and I, I have never, ever got used to that. Now, look, there are advantages. You're finished work early. I get to spend loads of time with at home with the family. I'm not sure they'd see it as an advantage early. <laughs> uh, but like there are, so I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going down a coal mine to earn a living. So I'm very conscious. Yeah. And it, it is a, pri- look, it's a privilege to do what we do, uh, John. And I'm also really conscious that it's, it's not hard work. It's a, it's an, it's a, it's a great job and I love it. But oh my God, the mornings. <laughs> well, the nation thanks you for your early morning start. His favourite movie is The Godfather 1 in particular, which he only saw recently on the big screen. You can hear him every morning, Monday to Friday, opposite Kira Kelly on News Talk Breakfast. Shane, thanks a million. Thank you, John. Well, when Johnny was first starting out, he was signed to this personal service contract from the big band leader. Nobody else. And as his career got better and better, he wanted to get out of it. Now, Johnny is my father's godson, and my father went to see this band leader, and he offered him $10,000 to let Johnny go. But the band leader said no. So the next day, my father went to see him, only this time with Luca Brazzi. Within an hour, he signed a release for a certified check of $1,000. How did he do that? My father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. What was that? Luca Brazzi held a gun to his head, and my father assured him that either his brains or his signature would be on a contract. Al Pacino opposite Diane Keaton there in The Godfather. He made him an offer he couldn't refuse. What do you say about The Godfather? You just say it's, you know, one of the greatest possibly the greatest movie ever made and you move on and my thanks to my old mucker Shane Coleman for joining me that's it for this week my thanks to Anne-Marie Kane who helped out on the show this week as she does every week 
just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on Newstalk, although it was coming to you at 9 this week due to the rugby. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a safe week ahead and we'll do it all again next week.